Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Good morning, and thanks to everyone who is joining us for this podcast. Today, we are going to make sense and digest what the new Omicron variant of COVID-19 means for England, what the prognosis for winter looks like, and how the government are likely to respond over the coming weeks and months. I'm delighted to be joined by a couple of my colleagues here at Global Council, Dr. Harpreet Sood, practicing clinician and advisor here at GC, and Alex Dawson, practice lead for UK politics and policy. My name is Rosie Hill. I'm a senior associate here at Global Council in the Health and Life Sciences team. And today we will be looking at what this new Omicron variant means and what we should take from its emergence over the last week or so. Since Omicron was first located just over a week ago, first reported to be found in South Africa, although reports have suggested that the variant was present in the Netherlands earlier than this. Several countries have stepped up and responded quickly to reduce international travel and reintroduce domestic restrictions. Harpreet, welcome to the podcast. Early evidence suggests Omicron has a higher reinfection rate. Can you talk us through this new variant, what we know about it so far, and is this a cause for concern, especially when we are in a time of year with flu season and Christmas coming up? Thanks, Rosie, and uh, great to be on the podcast with you all uh, today. So, um, well, look, absolutely, uh, you know, things have uh, changed uh, a fair bit over the last week or so. As many of you listeners know, uh, the World Health Organization on Friday the 26th of November uh, called the Omicron variant a variant of concern. And that has many connotations to it, and it's important for us to understand what that means uh, and, and what that means also and how it may play out over the coming weeks and months. So uh, the variant itself uh, is a variant that uh, has a number of mutations, which is different to the other variants we have at the moment, which in particular the Delta variant, which is the most dominant variant that we have across circulation at the moment. Now, as you outlined, what this could mean with the Omicron potentially is that it's potentially more infectious, uh, it could potentially cause more serious illness, and it may also be better at evading the vaccines uh, than previous variants. However, it's important to know that none of this is certain at the moment, and scientists and researchers and vaccine manufacturers are testing all of this out as we speak. Um, but for a variant to become a variant of concern, I think it's important to understand the significance of it and why it gets classified as a variant of concern. And there's a number of things that uh, play into that. One is the variant's transmission. One is then how well the diagnostics, the treatments of the vaccines work. And then thirdly, the disease severity. And then, you know, how that then multiplies across uh, different countries and, and the prevalence over time. And obviously the variant of concern, the Omicron at this point meets all that criteria. So that's why it's been classified as that. Now, um, like I said, if we look at some of the early data that's coming out of South Africa, we are seeing that it's, you know, spreading quite considerably very quickly, the transmissibility of it. Um, the number of individuals that were vaccinated in South Africa was relatively lower, so that's why there's a possibility it's also spreading much quicker, but we need more data to, to come through on that front. Um, additionally, I think it's also important to note that the strain itself 
at the moment is only causing a mild disease, uh, at least in South Africa, um, which is reassuring, but I don't think we could jump to any conclusions at this point on what that could mean and what that'll play out. But I think the next two to three weeks are gonna be critical for us to understand uh, how the Omicron variant is progressing, but also how it's responding to, like I said, the diagnostics, the therapeutics, but also the vaccines and what it also means for the individuals uh, in terms of disease severity. And, you know, with all this, the challenge we face is that, um, you know, we are still uh, in a pandemic. Uh, we, uh, uh, many countries across the world are still uh, tackling the Delta variant, which is obviously, like I said, the main uh, variant at the moment. And additionally, especially in the Western Hemisphere, uh, we are in the middle of a winter season, which increases the number of uh, flu as well. So if you play that all into play, uh, it does become quite a tricky and challenging time for many, including many of those working on the front line. And, and as a clinician myself, I'm seeing many variations of this with people presenting in lots of different ways. And I think that will keep playing out over the next few weeks or so as a number of cases rise with uh, this potential new variant. Thanks, Harpreet. And really interesting to understand the difference between a variant and a variant of concern. Um, since the arrival of the Omicron variant, the government have reintroduced some restrictions, such as the mandatory wearing of face masks in shops and travel settings in the UK. Alex, what's your take on these restrictions coming into force? Is this just to buy the government some time before some stronger restrictions come in? Um, and I suppose the real question that people are really wanting to know the answer to, is there a risk that Christmas could be cancelled this year? Uh, well, um, look, I think I think last Christmas uh, we should always take as a warning about Christmas being cancelled at pretty short notice um, as a consequence of the pandemic. Uh, and I think actually the speed with which authorities reacted to the Omicron variant um, does denote that, frankly, um, people are going to try and move very quickly to um, catch variants of concern early and buy themselves more time. So just to kind of answer your first question, yeah, I mean, the, the restrictions that have been placed in, which are kind of are fairly minor, it is, as you say, kind of increased use of face masks, although I'd say across aspects of parts of London, which is where I'm based, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't necessarily seem to be being adhered to that strictly right yet, right now. So, I mean, there's a question of enforcement un underpinning all of this. Um, effectively more testing um, and restrictions on certain types of international travel uh, and then also kind of a, a, an improved test and trace infrastructure or set of procedures for people with suspected omicron cases um and look i think i think i think this is obviously kind of on the on the smaller end of the scale particularly in comparison to what we've been used to over the last 18 months um i think that is in part because you know, the government wants to kind of catch early and try and test early, but it doesn't think it's got enough political bandwidth to propose a lockdown. Um, uh, it thinks that actually, you know, it's, it's ultimate um, plan A for dealing with variants of concern is the booster program and the vaccine program, uh, which is why third, um, third doses are now being rolled out to all adults by the end of January, or that's the commitment they've made. Um, and this is what is the big difference between this year and last year, uh, is that this year we have a vaccination program. We've got a vast number of people already vaccinated with two doses. Um, and so far, there is, you know, it, it seems that um, 
you know, community transmission seems to be at a kind of a tolerable level at the moment. There is no suggestion yet or that they're not working yet on the basis that um, the current sort of set of vaccine doses um, don't wholly capture Omicron. Uh, and and therefore they're kind of being, you know, they're, they're being slightly more cautious, even if they are moving earlier uh, on restrictive measures than they were last year. Um, and so, you know, that that's kind of where kind of where the government is. I should also point out, and I don't want to be the pernickety one on this podcast, uh, that when Boris Johnson announced his um, set of measures and Sajid Javid announced the set of measures that were being taken, it wasn't actually across the UK as a whole. Um, it was just applying to England. The way it's being done in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland is slightly separate because health is devolved in those uh, in those um, uh, parts of the UK. Uh, and uh, and look, I mean, and that points to the fact that in all of this, as we've seen throughout the entire pandemic, there is a gap between what politicians can announce and propose um, uh, and kind of what actually their powers uh, allow them to do. And also they are all playing fundamentally with how, um, you know, 60 million people across these islands uh, behave and go about their kind of personal lives. And I think this is going to be a sort of a tension that we see over the next few days and weeks as we get into conversations about whether Christmas parties should be cancelled, whether people should be going to the pub on Christmas Eve. Um, is that actually kind of a government of 120 ministers uh, can't really or will struggle to um, uh, kind of buy in a, a population to... Um, to a very kind of strict set of rules uh, and I think that's kind of the challenge that we're sort of seeing. Yeah definitely and certainly an interesting few weeks coming up for the government in the lead up to Christmas on this. We've seen some early reports that the vaccines may not be effective in responding to Omicron. We're obviously at early days in understanding this variant as you say Hartpreet but if this does turn out to be the case then why are the government and NHS encouraging people to get the booster vaccine in response? And to add to this, do you think that there is enough capacity to deliver the booster programme at the pace that they've laid out? So look, a great question. And, you know, there's some mixed reviews on this at the moment, right? So if we look at what the head of Moderna said recently, who has produced a Moderna uh, vaccine, um, you know, he's come out and said that the existing COVID-19 vaccines are unlikely to be as effective against uh, the uh, Omicron variant um, uh, compared to the previous variants. But this is based on an assumption rather than, or based on the changes in spike protein rather than uh, anything really seen in the real world. And that's uh, being tested as we speak. And we hope within the next week or two, we'll have a much better idea. But in contrast, you know, the head of the BioNTech who developed the Pfizer vaccine has come out saying that actually, uh, it, you know, it may not be as bad as people have thought, but actually what this would do is the boosters in particular will help people with the severe disease. Um, and I think that's what's really being pushed forward with the boosters at the moment is to say that, you know, almost all uh, scientists and public health professions out there are pushing for vaccines because either way, um, you know, even if the vaccines might be less effective in preventing the direct infection with Omicron, uh, they will at least protect to some degree against severe disease and death. And I think that's the rationale here is that let's get as many people vaccinated and, and boosted up as possible. And the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization also believes that the higher 
your antibody levels, the better you'll be protected. Hence, um, the government's rush to give boosters to as many people as possible in this current climate. Now, on your second point, do we have enough capacity? I mean, we certainly have enough dosage. Um, we've got you know just around 40 million or so of the Pfizer, which is where the boosters are coming from. Um, and I think just uh, approximately around 20 million of half doses of Moderna and the government as of today also has you know purchased a, a significant number of more vaccines. So on that basis, the supply of the vaccines is, is there. And so that's not the issue. The issue is the labor and the workforce to actually administer these vaccines and that will be uh, something that plays out now over the next few weeks i mean this morning the uh, vice chair of the royal college of general practitioners came out saying you know if gps in particular were starting to do more on the vaccine front there will have to be some compromises made on day-to-day -day care that is provided across general practice so so again there will be some trade-offs uh, and just like we mobilized at the start of the year when we did the first dose and you've got the pharmacies involved, lots of mass centers set up, uh, GPs, you know, everyone chipping in. It seems like we are heading that way again. So, but it's about how do we quickly administer as many as possible? And the government has obviously set the target of 23 million by the end of Jan. So I think that's going to be the biggest bottleneck here is the workforce side of it um, and, and getting as many people booked in over the holidays as possible. Um, but it'll be, you know, it's anyone's uh, guess at the moment how that will play out. And, and so we'll watch and wait, uh, but at the same time, uh, get as many people vaccinated as possible. Sure. So much more of a um, workforce and labour issue than um, the supply one. Um, Alex, I wanted to ask you about whether the government are responding to this with the lessons learned from last year in mind when the pandemic peaked in the winter months. Um, and do you think the government is still perceiving this as a health issue or is the new variant more of a concern for economic recovery? Um, well, I think there's so I think there are kind of I mean, there are two things that are kind of I want to kind of address on this. Um, and, and, and first, actually, I just kind of want to kind of go back onto sort of Harpreet's answer where he talked about workforce. What I think you are going to see um, as the pandemic becomes more of an endemic kind of condition, and as um, you know, as we kind of go into our second winter spike, our second winter of kind of concern about new variants, um, I think we're going to start to see a bit of a resumption of politics as normal when it comes to things like the NHS and how it operates. And I think you're starting to see within the Conservative Party, which is obviously the governing party in in England and at Westminster. Um, uh, a, a, a sort of questioning now of actually the NHS's performance over the course of this pandemic. So it's clearly done a very good job at dealing with the um, with this the, the initial surge in cases. And no one's doubting the kind of the the hard work of the doctors, nurses, and everyone on the front line dealing with it. But I think they uh, they're starting to kind of um, think a bit more deeply about about what the 12% of GDP that's spent on the NHS is buying if, for instance, we're still seeing a huge range of cancellations of operations, we're still seeing, um, you know, it, it is still the case that it's hard to see uh, for many people, there is a perception that it's very hard to get a face-to-face -face appointment with a, a GP and that's viewed not as a uh, an improvement in quality for, um, uh, for, for, for that aspect of care, but actually a sort of a diminution of quality. Um, and I think, and I think that's something that we're going to sort of see over the coming few weeks and months, 
uh, when it comes to delivering the booster, when it comes to um, uh, how, you know, how treatment is applied both for COVID and non-COVID cases. So in that respect, it's becoming less of a health emergency and more of a sort of just health policy and health politics um, as per usual. And I think also just on the economic side, just to kind of answer, you know, I suppose answer the you know, kind of the question that you directly asked, um, I think it is now being kind of considered much more in the balance with economic questions where, you know, in the first stage of the pandemic and before we had the vaccines, um, there was there was considered to be a correlation between the countries that did the most sort of, um, uh, you know, the, the toughest, most suppressive measures ended up sooner rather than later, ended up having sort of lower economic impacts. Um, and, and so kind of, you know, tackling the health crisis was the best way of tackling the economic crisis. Um, particularly as it kind of, you know, it meant that you had to, you didn't have to have as much kind of uh, sort of welfare support, you know, you had fewer business closures, et cetera, you know, ultimately as a consequence of that. Now we've got vaccines um, and those have been kind of significantly rolled out, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, it is now much more of a sort of considered to be much more of a treatable, manageable condition. Uh, and now that things like the furlough scheme, for instance, have, you know, fully tapered off and ended, I think there is that's kind of reset the reset the dial, as it were, so that the economic cost of interventions is now being considered or now being given more priority uh, uh, when also considering the, the health impact of an intervention. And I think kind of part of the reason why face masks aren't being required in hospitality settings is that, um, you know, this kind of Christmas booking season is incredibly important for the hospitality industry. Um, the, uh, the review of kind of um, uh, sort of uh, kind of, um, you know, entertainment businesses and how they could cope with COVID secure guidelines kind of demonstrated that actually they, they couldn't really cope with those sorts of guidelines. Um, and, and therefore, I think the kind of government is taking the decision at the moment to avoid closing hospitality uh, or making hospitality much more restrictive um, because they, they do have as much of an eye on the economic concerns as they do on the health concerns. They primarily think that they can kind of jab their way out of this. Um, uh, and, and they are kind of, you know, hoping they will have caught it early, but I'm pretty sure the fact that um, there isn't a furlough scheme, there isn't, you know, you, you just have few of those fiscal interventions means that they kind of are unwilling to sort of necessarily turn that tap on, especially considering the fact that the Treasury is already looking nervously at the 96% debt to GDP ratio uh, that was kind of um, set out at the spending review uh, and thinking, well, how on earth are we going to be able to sort of pay down the deficit that's accrued and that's led to that? How are we going to make sure that we actually have room in future if there is an even more serious variant of concern uh, at some point if, um, you know, if inflation, you know, really starts to bite how we're going to be able to service that debt and so i just think that kind of you know the sense that you know the the playbook from you know october november december 2020 applies over to this year um i just don't think the government sees it that way uh, and so i think it i think you know to kind of yeah I suppose finally answer the question it is as much the economic concern as it is the health concern 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And on the health side in particular, I suppose it's worth mentioning that Sajid Javid is imminently expected to um, provide the elective recovery plan that's in the works. So we'll be awaiting that in the next few days. Um, just to move us on slightly, so lateral flow tests and PCR tests. Um, with these, you can't tell which variant you're infected with, but they are still able to tell you if you have tested negative or positive for COVID-19, even with Omicron. To be able to de to be able to detect Omicron, however, swabs from PCR tests are needed, um, but not all UK labs, only about half of them have the required technology to detect um, suspected Omicron cases. Um, so for this, you need a full genetic analysis, um, and this can take up to a couple of weeks. Harpreet, can you talk us through the science a bit on this um, and what this can mean if not all Omicron cases are actually being detected through PCRs? Yeah, no, it's a very good question. So the, <clears throat> just to set the scene, I guess, the UK uh, Health and Security Agency, the UK HSA, they've confirmed that 50% of its community testing labs can now assess samples for um, SGTF. So basically what is happening now is that how Omicron is being tested is through a PCR test, but it usually is sent to a specialist lab for genomic sequencing, which then confirms if it's Omicron or not. And what it is is that the SGTF uh, refers to the S gene. So, and that's the element of the virus that is not present on the Omicron variant. So if you, uh, so if the FG, S gene is not present on the PCR sample, then the case is highly likely to be Omicron. And this is, like I said, only confirmed through uh, full genomic sequencing. Now, if only 50% of our labs can assess that, then it also then means the delay in getting the samples back because you will have to you know, send it off to a specialist lab and then that will come back. So the guidance at this point is that if you are positive, you do need to self-isolate and under this gu week's guidance that's come out, uh, your household and close contacts will also help to self-isolate even if they're full back, fully vaccinated until we fully know whether you have uh, the um, Omicron variant or not. Um, the kind of perception is that they will increase the testing capacity, uh, lab uh, availability to test uh, more labs to be doing more tests. But until then, uh, that is where um, the guidance is because we do have the required technology, but it just means how do we get it and distribution it across the country in a way that's a lot more accessible, uh, which is not, not the case at the moment. It's also important to know that lateral flow tests do not detect these, uh, the Omicron variant. So a PCR test, which then needs full genomic sequencing is the only way at the moment and that will be done by a specialist center. So don't assume by just doing lateral flow tests, even if you're positive negative, that uh, you know, it will not pick up the Omicron variant. Uh, so that's why the self-isolation is necessary for 10 days until you get the result back from your PCR test. Uh, and that's where we are at the moment. Thanks. It's really good to have the clarity about um, why it is that we're isolating with Omicron and not the others. Um, thinking about this sorry Alex. i kind of just wanted to sort of chip in on this do we think there are do we do we think there is evidence that people are taking lateral flow tests receiving the receiving a positive result and then not going for a pcr test because they don't want to get tied up in the 10-day uh, omicron uh, isolation and and where where are we with kind of uptake of pcr tests at the moment that's a very good question alex um I don't have the data on hand at the moment, but my sense is that people are probably doing that. And the challenge with that is that lateral flow tests also, you know, give a lot more false positives, uh, you know, being negative or positive in general, regardless of it being Omicron. So 
the only advice I can give at this point is that if you are symptomatic um, or if there is any concern of Omicron, do the PCR test and don't take the lateral flow test. The challenge we have and picking up on your hospitality question earlier is that a lot of places now are saying do a lateral flow test and then come or, you know, uh, whether it's Christmas mm. parties or et cetera. And I'm not quite sure that that necessarily uh, will play out in the right way. So I think that needs to be teased out a bit more uh, because of the reasons that you've just articulated. Yeah, I mean, I think throughout all of this, we're going to start to see the gap between what people should be doing and what the guidance says they should yeah. be doing and and then what what is actually happening. And uh, you, yeah, as we speak, it depends on when people are listening to this podcast, but as we speak, the UK government is in a a heap of trouble or kind of a, a minor heap of trouble in comparison to some of the heaps of trouble they've been in over the course of the last 18 months about whether people should be having Christmas parties or not, um, whether you should uh, take lateral flow tests beforehand. We have uh, one cabinet minister saying that you shouldn't snog anyone underneath the mistletoe. Um, uh, and and I, I think this is going to be a challenge for, for, for businesses, for individuals, as they try and work out kind of what their own quotient of risk is. Um, and and how they want to play this over the kind of the run up to uh, Christmas in the new year, and I think that's a real kind of problem for policymakers is that they don't necessarily know how guidance is being interpreted, and therefore they don't necessarily know, uh, or it's 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 harder to know what the data uh, coming back into them that informs then the management of the system, uh, what it's actually measuring that data. Um, uh, and, and I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to sort of pay attention to over the coming weeks and months as uh, the Omicron variant um, spreads. Yeah, I think the message there is um, don't get any mistletoe at your Christmas parties. <laughs> yeah, there are all sorts of reasons why people shouldn't be kissing under the mistletoe at the office Christmas party. But anyway, I'm not going to be too censorious about this kind of thing. Um, thinking about this on an international level, the World Health Organization has urged those who are vulnerable to delay their travel if they're not fully vaccinated. In the UK, we've seen the reintroduction of PCR tests on day two for all arrivals as opposed to lateral flow tests. What do we think Omicron will mean for travel and what impact could this have on an international scale? I mean, look, I think kind of one of the lessons from the 2020 playbook was that um, limiting international travel and limiting international arrivals was probably one of the easiest um, easiest ways of impacting uh, transmission, certainly impacting kind of new variants, uh, transmission into countries um, and relatively cost free for the domestic kind of uh, the domestic stakeholder, i.e. the voter. Um, and therefore it was uh, it was it was a tool and a lever um, that eventually kind of the government reached to and sort of was quite happy to pull. Um, I suspect that, uh, you know, this will continue to be the case. Um, and also, I think it's the sort of thing where uh, it's easy to um, it's easy to initiate the uh, the closed border. It's harder than to reopen it, particularly as um, reciprocity is often required to open it, um, whereas kind of the the closure can be a bit more unilateral. Um, and so, I suspect uh, you know we're going to see. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the restrictions that have been placed on uh, international travel take a while to come back off. I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a bit longer than the science would arguably dictate 
for the red list red listed countries to be moved off the red list um and uh, yeah i mean I, and, and and also you combine that then as well with uh you know individual consumer behavior where they where people might think well you know there's an omicron variant there's a new variant going around do i want to sit on an airplane breathing in everyone else's uh, oxygen um or everyone else's air uh you know just in the run up to christmas and and that's the thing i mean you can see you can see how sort of demand might taper off in those sectors as a consequence of what's happening here as well as a consequence of government policy yeah but just yeah thanks Alex. I'll just, and, and just to add to that i think it's important for our listeners to uh also be aware and you know the world health organization outlined this yesterday that you know this is a variant of concern but it shouldn't be seen as a variant of panic so you know getting vaccinated getting that booster continuing on with infection prevention measures you know masks hand washing you know all the kind of things that we were doing previously and, and continue to do i think will be critically important um because we do have a real opportunity to get on top of it and then at the same time you know try and get as many vaccines to the rest of the world as possible um and, and i think that is, is going to be the key aim here and, and how we can really keep on top of this but but it's important that uh, listeners are aware of that because uh, it, it's very easy to panic and and uh, close down everything yeah absolutely really important to keep up with those measures um we are at time i'm afraid but i just wanted to thank everyone we have listening in to this podcast as always, if you, your business or your investment is exposed to COVID-19 and the Omicron variants, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find contact details for Harpreet, Alex and our sectoral teams on the GC website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. My thanks to Harpreet and Alex and thank you for listening. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.